Welcome to the podcast for people turning the great American RV adventure into stressless camping. We're glad you joined our weekly adventure. Now let's gather around the campfire with our hosts, Peggy and Tony Barthel. Welcome to the campfire. We are two RV industry veterans who travel part-time, although not recently, in a small travel trailer <laughs> looking to share big adventures and help you with great tips, tricks, and discounts. Indeed. And we're sharing these with you even though we're all sitting around waiting for the release to move about the country. Yes. You are now free to move about the country. <laughs> Those days are coming. For some reason today, I feel fairly encouraged. Me too. There must be something in the air. Maybe it's the plants that we bought oh, maybe that will let die when we finally leave <laughs> yeah yeah right about the time the plants get situated we're gonna hit the road and they're all gonna die that's why we don't have chickens folks that's true <laughs> oh boy yeah i want chickens really badly well if you're new to the podcast first of all welcome we have a sticks and bricks and we travel part-time in a 19-foot travel trailer and most of our travel is on the west coast oh <laughs> Though not lately. Well, sure. We've stayed on the West Coast very much oh, lately. Oh, yeah. We're, <laughs> we're stuck on the West Coast. <laughs> I know. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to Fred Flintstone our way right to the center of the country. Yes. It'll be like, yabba dabba Anyway. While we're sitting here and not being able to travel and with the rest of you not being able to travel, what is it you're doing? Are you spending some time in your travel trailer or your RV? Are you cleaning or decorating or are you maybe painting? Eating incredible numbers of snacks. Well, you could do that outside the RV. Right? <laughs> One of the things I have been doing a lot of, even more than usual, is <laughs> wasting a lot of time on social media. And there was recently a question in one of the groups that we run that was about how much I should change the interior design of my trailer. And I said, well, do you care about resale value? And they said, what do you mean? And I reminded her that trailers are, we all agree, there's a a lot of brown and not a lot of really polarizing interior design, although that is changing in some cases. Thank goodness. Yeah, but by the same token, they're designed so that the maximum number of people who show up at a RV dealer are not offended by them. So, True. yeah, they're not designed to win Architectural Digest awards, but they're also designed to be just kind of or not offend the maximum number of people. So, if you paint your cabinets white or do some real polarizing changes to the interior of your trailer and you think you might be trading it in, you may be shooting yourself in the foot. I know we saw a trailer somebody brought us at one point when I was working at the RV dealership and the cabinets had all been painted and it was heavily modified inside. We just didn't want it because we knew it was going to sit on the lot for two evers. Right. And so last week, or not last two week. Two weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago we talked about mod you can do to your RV that are reversible. Right. That don't affect the value of your RV. Right. And so it's just something to think about. It's your RV. You can do whatever you want to it. You could paint it purple and light it up and have tiki torches and all kinds of weird, whatever you want. Well, of course I would put the tiki well, torches, right. but anyway. And then if you do that, just remember that the only person you'll be able to sell it to is Tony. Yeah. 
<laughs> and already got me a trailer. Right. It will limit who would want to buy the RV when you're ready to move on to the next one. Right. So it's just something to keep in mind. Again, if you're thinking maybe you're going to sell it, think about the mods that don't affect the long-term value or things you can easily reverse. If you're thinking, I'm going to keep this thing for the next 20 years, have at it. Just right. do whatever the heck you want. And, and again, it's yours to do what you want with, but just know the consequences. Now, of course, there are some really good permanent modifications. And today we are talking to Todd Mullane, and he is going to tell us about a permanent modification that we are looking forward to doing on our own RV, and that is a fire suppression system. We'll be right back after this with words from Todd. I see you're packing for our next road trip. Oh, yeah. These are all the ingredients for making different grilled cheese sandwiches with our grub stick. Great. But uh, where are the clothes? I got all kinds of inspiration for making grilled cheese sandwiches with our grub sticks over the campfire. There are 11 kinds of cheese and bacon, bacon jam, ham, five kinds of bread. Wait, okay. That's all for making grilled cheese sandwiches? Yeah. I know the grub stick is a perfect campfire accessory made of quality parts that work together for sandwiches, hot dogs, s'mores, woofums, and all sorts of other great meals. But isn't this a bit too much variety? Camping is supposed to be simple. Oh, it's simple to use your grub stick over the campfire or even on the barbecue to make great meals. And even kids can use them safely and easily. Plus, with the coupon code HAPPYCAMPERS, you get 15% off your grub sticks. It's the best deal around. Yeah, but it's going to take us weeks to eat that mini grilled cheese sandwiches. <laughs> oh, yeah. Weeks of grilled cheese. You say that like it's a bad thing. And you haven't even seen what I packed for breakfasts and dinners. We are going to be camping for months. My husband is insane. But Grubstick is the perfect cooking accessory for any campfire. And you can get 15% off using the coupon code HAPPYCAMPERS from our partners page at StresslessCamping.com. We're really happy to bring back United States Air Force Chief Retired Todd Mullane to the Stressless Camping Podcast. We had so much to talk with Todd about last week that we figured we better bring him back and let him talk about some more things that he had to say. And we're going to start with a reminder about how quickly fire spreads in an RV. It's incredible how quickly RVs burn. Yes, and so fire is. safety is so critical. So let's talk fire safety in RVs. In most cases, we get into an RV because we're heading to that happy site down the road, wherever it is, and we tend to forget those things that we would take into consideration in the sticks and bricks. We have to remember to do that because we're on wheels now, and we are much more vulnerable on wheels than we are in sticks and bricks. How fast does an RV burn, typically? Every 15 seconds, the fire will multiply. What are fire extinguishers even do? Normally, what I tell people is it's at the door anyway. You may as well just take it right on out the door with you. Because if you already see or smell smoke in an RV, a lot of times it's already too late because those fires are occurring in many cases behind the walls, like a loosened electrical connection. Something has occurred behind the scenes. And that's what we provide protection for is those areas that you can't see, those areas that are hidden behind the line. But the fire extinguishers that we recommend is if it's a Class A type vehicle that you have about five. The idea is for you to get the heck out, right? Correct. The big thing with fire extinguishers is, one, knowing how to use it, and that's usually the acronym PASS, full aim, squeeze, and sweep, but also deciding fight or flight. You've only got five to seven to ten seconds of effective firefighting capability. You're going to use it to make sure that you get out. 
Now, you had mentioned two different smoke detectors. That's the first time I ever heard of yes. that. What can you tell us about that? There are two different types of smoke detectors to take into consideration. And this is something I'm going to do a demonstration on here shortly, but I encourage people to Google YouTube however you wish to find it. A few years ago, the media did a great physical presentation of the difference between an ionization smoke detector and a photoelectric smoke detector. And to narrow down the differences between the two, ionization is more specific for the purposes of fire as far as actually burning. Photoelectric is longer burn burn types, things like that, where smoke is dense. And what this demonstration really proved was that an ionization smoke detector takes longer to activate than a photoelectric. As a matter of fact, some regions have taken great strides within the fire prevention environment to have ionization smoke detectors removed from normal use. My RV smoke detector here happens to be an ionization, but I also have a photoelectric here. And the demonstration that I'm going to do down the road is showing in a fishbowl the normal material that we have got in our seats here, the foam that we use. Let's say you're one of those that uh, smokes in their RV and that cigarette gets caught in between the pillows. That's not going to burn right away. That's going to smoke. And it's going to smoke in some cases heavily as it starts to reach its burn point, its flash points. That smoke has to be detected in a certain manner where a photoelectric is looking for the particles of smoke to pass the eye and create a disruption. The ionization is looking for fire or the product of smoke from fire. So the differences between the two will determine how fast your equipment responds to the certain circumstances by which it is covering. So that's a long definition for ionization is for one time. This is why most of them go off in the kitchen. It's because you have an ionization <laughs> detector over your Pop-Tarts and the photoelectric is looking for deep smoke. And it's just a different type of fire. And I think back a little bit to uh, Mac the Fire Guy who was adamant about this and he's absolutely, he was absolutely correct that having the two types and some of them are combination units that have ionization and photoelectric in them are your best bet. They're not RV smoke detectors which is a completely different model. And an RV smoke detector, which is marketable through some of these specialized stores, is designed specifically for RVs. So what's an RV smoke detector? Well, that is something that they call is ruggedized. And a ruggedized smoke detector is designed for RVs for the purposes of motion and temperature changes. The average smoke detector is uh, normally operates between the areas of about 40 degrees to 100 as their normal operating, that they're tested to work properly. Anything below that 40 degree mark when it starts to get into the freezing zones or long-term stationary or high motion vibration, smoke detectors normally off the shelf are going to react differently to that kind of environment. That's why they only range them between 40 and 100 and normal stationary insulation. A ruggedized smoke detector that BRK is one of the vendors that I'm aware of, the manufacturers, which is part of KIDA, designs these RV smoke detectors that have a little bit better range and their manufacture is a little bit tighter for motion purposes. But it's a one-type ionization smoke detector, one-type, one-style. And that's typically what comes with your RV? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. I tell everybody the same thing. You have to check your equipment routinely. And just because you push the button that it goes, that's only a, a momentary energization of your equipment. The difference between an ionization and a photoelectric, it may work, but it may not work for the situation that could happen to you. Right. Check all of your equipment all the time. 
Do you have things that you recommend to prevent fires in RVs? Absolutely. Besides the products that we have, which are engaged only in the event of a fire, prevention is the number one thing. And that's where situational awareness comes from. The only way that you prevent something from happening is by ensuring it doesn't happen to begin with or doing everything physically possible to stop that from happening. As a series of examples, leave nothing on other than your air conditioner maybe to support if you have your pets inside. Unplug things that are not in use. Everything that's plugged in, as long as your rig is plugged in, is drawing power. And I know for some people, some of them are built in that way, but the unit was designed to manage that power because it was rated for that power. But if you're plugging something in, you are now engaging maybe a couple of different processes that are causing additional draw. Because every time you plug something in, it creates more draw. That's why if you have a 50 amp service, I have two ACs on my rig. Those two ACs are able to operate because I have a 50 amp service. However, if I have a 30, I can only do one at a time or it pops the breaker. So I have to be cognitive and aware of what I'm plugging in and using depending on where I am. Unplug stuff. Never, if at all possible, use an extension cord in your rig. The reason is because that extension cord can get hot. It can be underrated for what you're using it for. I've seen people that are in certain locations that will take their extension cord, plug it into the only plug that they have in their rig, and they will generate to their uh, Keurig name brand. All right. I'm going to tell you a little story behind the Sure. Everything in here can run to a degree on my small generator, but I did a little test of that, and I plugged in the Keurig via a rated cord directly to the generator. The generator kicked into high drive just to engage the heating element that was on the Keurig. So let's go one step further. That has so much draw on it, it creates so much heat at a rapid rate. That generated element on the inside creates heat on the outside. Some people don't have their Keurig on a non-porous surface. They'll have it on whatever that is potentially for Touch the Keurig and find out where those hot spots are because that radiant heat or direct convection caused the element that it's sitting on to ignite. It will dry out the wood or whatever it's on eventually to it gets to its burn point. Being aware just in general of your equipment. Some people cook on your stove in the rig, turn the handles inside. Don't use a fire extinguisher on a fire in a pot. Use oh. a blanket or the lid. Fire prevention is situational awareness. What am I using? What am I doing? What do I need to do? And how do I make sure that don't put your paper towels near the stove? Those are flammable. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. If you use charcoal as opposed to gas, it needs to be kept dry. Charcoal that has gotten damp stands a chance of spontaneous combustion. Oh, really? That charcoal can spontaneously combust in time because it generates heat as the charcoal off-gasses. And by off-gas, I mean turns to carbon monoxide, which is the dangerous part of charcoal. And there have been at least once a year, unfortunately, there's a statistic that drops within the fire community of campers that let their charcoal burn out overnight or they were trying to do the right thing by they closed the lid of their charcoal grill as it's burning down as opposed to putting it out. And then they would slide it under their camper. Well, the off-gassing carbon monoxide eventually sucked into the RVs and they, they killed them. Wow. Carbon monoxide hence the carbon monoxide detector too. We met Todd at various RV rallies, at the FMCA rally, at the Quartzsite RV show, and he was representing Protang, which is, in my opinion, one of the best fire prevention and safety things I have 
ever seen for RVs. And things that really impressed me about that product is it requires no interaction on the user part. It requires no electricity or electronic systems. It just is a terrific fire suppression tool. So with that, Todd, tell us a little about Protang. All right, sit down. So <laughs> fire protected Protang, flexible fire suppression tubes were first developed from the racing industry about 11 years ago now. And the reason that they were developed, conventional fire suppression systems for vehicles or other applications of such are normally stricken to certified technicians that install based on what we call pre-engineered systems. I installed them for over 20 years as a systems installation and service technician. They're specialized systems. They are what we call, like I said, pre-engineered, where it is determined that we can install to a certain degree. However, they all started with a tank. And like a fire extinguisher, when it's needed, it releases the pressure in the tank and then gets distributed to the location by which it is needed. A sprinkler system works in most cases like that, but again, it all started with a cylinder in the back under pressure with the suppressant in it, and then once the detectors realized something was going on, the detector would engage a control head, release the device's control head, which would in turn discharge the product to the location. And in most cases, it was general distribution. The fire's in here somewhere, we're going to put it out. Air Force, we used HALA, still use HALA, as our aircraft suppression systems for the engines, but halon, which was the go-to chemical, is a ozone depleter. And many years ago, in EPA shut it down in the sense of, you're not making it anymore. It's an ozone depleter. It's a proven problem. I'll stop. Well, that kind of put an edge to the fire suppression world. So there are other means and other avenues of chemical suppressors that were put into place. But one of them that was put into place was FM200, which was designed in 1989 by the DuPont company. And FM200, though it's part of the halogenated family, was designed to replace Halon. FM200, though, was a little bit underutilized. So a couple of guys got together and they came up with a solution for that. They developed fire-protected protect, protect engines because that's what it was really designed for. It was the racing industry. And it's a design in a flexible tube that can be interlaced throughout the engine or simply placed into a compartment that allows it to just sit dormant until it becomes necessary. And that's how it was born. It was developed in racing out of a need for a lightweight solution to a very expensive problem. Race car engines are big bucks. Yeah. And after you burn up maybe five or six of them, you need a solution. And it wasn't their fault. It was just the racing industry. It was the type of racing that they were doing. And they could not install a stored pressure cylinder fire extinguisher with pipe in an engine that allowed for the weight to be sufficient enough in order to maintain those speeds and be able to continue to win. Hence, born project. The other thing I like about your solution is if there is a fire and it's not, you know, the fire is not so bad it destroys the engine or any other component, your product also is not destructive. Correct. It activates and puts out the fire, and you may not even know it until you hear it in the middle of the night. So there's a couple little things behind that. One is it is stored at a low pressure. It's stored at about 45 to 50 PSI and stored as a liquid. You can physically see it inside the tube. When it discharges, though, it discharges at 450 PSI or thereabouts. 
So you have two facets. We're already stored at low pressure, unlike fire extinguishers, which are stored at high pressure and decrease on usage. That's why you only have five to seven seconds of effective firefighting with a fire extinguisher. Where the FM200 fire protective pro tank systems, we are in a flexible tube sitting dormant at about 50 PSI. Should fire impinge for high heat over 350 degrees, impinge upon that tube, the liquid now starts to become active. It starts to get agitated. And that agitation begins to cause the liquid to evaporate. And it evaporates inside the tube. That evaporation is causing an increase of pressure. That increase of pressure is now waiting for the weakest part of that tube to become active. So the entire tube is a detector. Anywhere along that tube line, impinged upon by flame or high heat as a whole, the weakest part will melt that location. The liquid immediately becomes a gas upon going atmospheric, and you have a rapid engulfing of the compartment with a fire suppressant. It's so quick and requires no action on the user's part. And what I like is that I've seen decent fire suppression systems where it has sensors, which then trigger a system, but that requires electricity or the sensor doesn't work. This is, it's simple. It's just simple and doesn't add a lot of weight and it just works. (laughs) It is. It does. It just works. It's so simple. It's silly. And why we weren't doing it sooner, uh, you know, again, having been a systems tech for so many years, you're absolutely correct. It's so simple, it's silly. Yes, we put them in for you because we provide the four-year warranty behind it. It's installed based on the compartment size and the hazard by which we are protecting. Our tubes go everywhere from the smallest one I was aware of was four inches that we put into a uh, safe deposit box in a bank. Huh. to oh, about wow. 16 feet that we put into an engine compartment in an RV. But that's not all that we're in now. Because over the last two years that the product has really been on the U.S. market and that we are made in the United States and we have been since virtual inception, we're actually manufactured in Jupiter, Florida. And the nice thing about it is the product is already approved. We did not have to seek approval to get factory mutual FM approval for the unit. The fire suppressant product itself was already approved for use and it already had its EPA qualification certificates, which is all available via our websites as well, protein.com and fire-protected.com. It was simply the application. And we are so technically advanced in the sense of how we manufactured and put these things together that UL is still trying to catch up to us. We're able to protect fire with an approved product for everything. And we are in literally planes, trains, and automobiles. We are in agricultural equipment. We are in school buses. We are in aviation. We are in boats. And now we are delving into our product line is being strongly sought after in the IT environment. With information technology and computer systems and hubs and all the rest of that stuff, the rooms themselves are protected. The actual equipment itself normally is not. So what happens is the fire should occur in one of the racks that carries the CPUs or other equipment inside there. In a lot of cases, everything is cased and encapsulated inside one of these computer racks to include an automatic transfer switch, which is a heat generator that goes from normal power to battery backup. Well, those batteries create power and heat generation as well. They're all all in the same unit. They all have little fans running all the time. That's why the computer rooms are so freaking cold all the time is because they're trying to keep the temperature down yeah. and these things so high. But the rooms are what is protected. And I was installing suppressant systems in rooms. We started in Halon and I was installing Halon in the 80s and taking it out in the 90s. But we were <laughs> installing systems hard 
pipe systems to protect the contents in general, not the contents in specific. Fire protective protein protects the product at the problem. So yeah. one of those elements inside that rack could become the problem and our dormant suppressant tube is already there waiting for something to happen and it, and it once impinged will directly affect that fire and despite its presence will affect no other equipment around it. The yeah. gas itself depletes immediately. So you're going to get a rapid expansion inside the compartment. It will snuff the fire out and dissipate. You just were able to isolate to one computer. That would yes. save all that data in that data room because if the fire suppression system comes on, you may lose a good chunk of data. And what if that's where your photos are stored? What if that's the cloud? That's where a really you're good point. And that's why the chemical suppressant systems, when they were designed, became so rapidly popular is because they were non-hazardous to the equipment and the equipment's survival, and they also snuffed out the fire. Yeah, and you catch it before it becomes a bigger problem. Yes, we are bringing protection to the problem. And that's, that's the beauty of this thing. And it's so easy. In most cases, we put it in with zip ties, and it just yeah. sits there and it waits. I mean, you look at it. I tell people all the time, you know, go in, check it. Well, what happens if I have to maintain the I said, you already know where it belongs. Clip the zip ties, put it off to the side, fix whatever you got to fix, get two zip ties, put it back. Done. It's just that easy. It's impressive. And I had planned at the FMCA rally, which we can't attend, I was going to get your system installed in my refrigeration unit in my trailer. Yes. Because those are little fire hazards going down the road. Even if you don't turn it on. That is the number one statistical proven fire RV worst case scenario is gas absorption refrigeration systems. And yeah. that in and of itself has taken our product to new levels simply because our presence is already in the mix where literally the mix is happening. The ammonia and the propane in combination to create heat, which in turn creates cold. Those things put together create a very hazardous environment. Top that off with not maintaining the compartment from the outside. And should a fire occur, you can't fight the fire from the inside. You have to go out anyway. And the thing about these refrigeration systems is beside the manufacturer, we have what's called balloon construction in a structural firefighting and that's where from the bottom to the top of a building there's no what we call fire stops along the way you have stud construction in every 16 inches on center uprights blah 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 well in between those things we have what we call fire stops and that's where you put stability two by fours across the way from each other and as fire stops stop the fire from moving from one point to the next these things are a direct pipe in the middle of your rv to a vent <laughs> up above and it is like an open port it's like having an HVAC unit, heating and ventilation equipment in your home, and a fire were to start in there, it would travel through your entire home because it is unimpeded by fire stops. That's why we shut HVA systems down in the event of an emergency. They yep. shut off so that the fire cannot travel unimpeded through room to room to room. Right. That does not happen with these things here. That is a direct port from the left to the right, or right to the left, however you want to look at it. And that fire creates so much heat inside that tube. What's next to it? All of your interior stuff. You can't fight fire from the inside with a refrigeration system. It has to happen from the outside. And that's where we are already sitting, is our tube is already seated inside of that compartment in the back area, simply placed and zip-tied waiting. And you've got to think it's also a flame that apparently those ammonia systems have a tendency to fail in terms of physically. And then you've got an open flame and a source of propane. And as you said, it's a chimney. So 
Yeah. So a lot of people have a couple of different things already in place. None of these are bad. Don't get me wrong. They already have a, well, I think it's called the fridge minder. And the fridge minder is a temperature gauge that is electronically motivated to stop your refrigerator system from overheating. Okay, fine. It works. It shuts the refrigeration system off properly. Yes. However, heat doesn't shut off immediately either. The thing about hot is hot takes time to cool. So the issue on the inside of these things is the elements have reached a temperature that an electronic device, which must be on in order to work, again, you must be present to use me, (laughs) <laughs> the products have gotten to a temperature that this device has said, wow, that's too hot. You need to shut down now. Hence, de-energizing the unit. That's fine. But the temperature remains. It will slowly begin to dissipate. Yes, because there's no continued force of energization. However, if the maintenance on that compartment is improper, it's dirty. There's spider webs in there. Something's built a home in there, which also <laughs> has, it has occurred where these tubes have had critters built a nest up inside them because storage allows for complacency. They got in to the side and up the pipe they went and they built a little home in there. Well, Mm. that heat translates up there to a class A type fire. A nest is nothing more than hay, which will ignite. The fridge minder did its job, but the heat didn't go away. Our tube is sitting in place. This liquid becomes an immediate gas. And not only does it snuff the fire up by reducing the level of oxygen, it also cools the compartment at a rapid rate. The second thing is they have placed in there a small halon extinguisher. Well, good on them. You can't see it, but I'm kind of holding my face right now. Those small extinguishers can do the job. On the end of them, they have a small fusible link sprinkler head type of discharge. It has a gauge on it. Yes. It has product in it. Probably. (laughs) <laughs> I say it that way because three of them over the last year, when we did a, it's okay, chief, I've already got something in place. Can I look okay. at it? Sure. Dead. Absolute DOA. Dead on arrival. No pressure in it. Nothing. Instant, oh. instant installation of prior protective protect. But <laughs> it goes right back to your inbound and outbound checklist. Are you checking all of your life safety devices upon arrival and at departure to make sure that everything is functional when you get there? Because you have to drive to get there, so it all got bounced around a lot. To the point of when you leave, is everything ready so that you have a note of comparison when you get to your next location? Well, darn, it looked like it was okay when I left. Now it doesn't seem to be okay. Something happened en route. That's why I say you have two checklists. Check all of your stuff. Well, here's three instances that occurred last year alone. I'm all set. One of them was quartzite. Great. Can I look at it? Well, yeah, but I don't need anything else. Okay, here you go. It's empty. And I would take them apart in front of them. <laughs> I knew the gauge is one thing. The gauge may have been broken, but I could also feel that there was nothing left inside the unit. It was discharged. The actual units had discharged or leaked out. Wow. Wow. Didn't huh. know it, though, because they didn't use situational awareness to check all of their stuff. Unfortunately, when it goes behind the door, it also goes into the land of unknown. I forgot yeah. about it. I didn't know it was there until I needed to remember about it. Here's right. where we come to play. Our stuff sits dormant in a sealed environment. It is completely sealed and encapsulated in a flexible tube. Like everything else, though, it has a lifespan. Fire extinguishers have 10 years on it. Smoke detectors, 7 to 10 years on it. Propane, carbon monoxide detectors, 5 to 7 year lifespan on it. Our product also has a 5 to 7 year lifespan on it, depending and on the amount of environmental problems it could run into. Right. It's just situational awareness to the stuff that you have in place that's protecting you unseen, behind the scene. You didn't look at that unit until it was too late. I thought I had it all set. No, uh, no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and all of them had the deer in the headlights look when I, I would have taken it apart and go, here you go, there's nothing in there. 
Where would somebody get your product installed right now? I guess right now we're on a hiatus. <laughs> yeah, normally, again, I'm, I'm in the field. We have a few folks that are out in California. There's a couple. We're expanding our arena of technicians, and they are available at almost all the rallies that are occurring now, well, that were occurring. Yeah. Information can be gained by going to our websites, protang.com or fire-protected.com, and contacting us directly at our home office and speaking to Mr. Cole. But determining how to obtain the product is going to the rallies. So just another great reason to go to the rallies. And next time we see you, we're going to be getting our fridge fire protected. Yeah. So. There are many, many things in this community that are designed to help you, that are designed to ensure your safety. Some folks have gotten a little complacent in their safety environment by attrition, by, you know, it's never happened to me. I can always tell when someone has had something that happened to them and someone that has never had something like that happen to them. So I casually, depending on their humor, level, we'll say to them, okay, so if you're not concerned about that, then here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This is what it's like to lose something in a fire. Hand me your wallet. What? Yeah. <laughs> I, want, I want your cell phone and your wallet. Just hand it over. Right. Well, why? Because those are the things that you're going to lose and leave behind yeah. to something occur. And those are the things that I want you to put in my hand now, because if you're uncomfortable with turning those things over to me, standing in front of you, knowing that you're going to get them back, think about that at X o'clock in the morning in a rapidly deteriorating situation that is life and death. And then you realize I left that stuff. It's gone in a fire. Yeah. That same feeling that you had just now when I asked you for your stuff, that same draining of life that you just got, is the same feeling only 10 times worse that you're going to experience losing those things that are most important to you and realizing I had a choice that I could have made and all I had to do was take every advantage and every opportunity that was made available to me, make good, logical, cognitive, adult decision-making processes and say, you know, maybe this time I'll just put in some fire stuff, I'll sleep better, my spouse will sleep better knowing that something's working for me that I don't have to have my mind on and can take maybe 5% of my worry away. Yeah. That's what we're doing is bringing awareness. Actually, just recently I sat and I was trying to figure out how to rationalize to the folks in my seminar. I want you to buy my stuff. I just don't want you to use it. Right. right. Of course. Like insurance. I tell everybody, do your research. Use the websites. I have some folks that are great at YouTube viewing who have many, many times told me that they are already familiar with the product. They don't need me to spiel to them anymore. How much? How much is your rig worth and how much is your life worth? Yeah. In the middle of the night, you'd pay anything to be able to walk yeah. out of there safely. Yeah. You know, an average rig could run anywhere, a class A, anywhere from 2000 to $3,000. A smaller rig could run anywhere. I think the smallest we put in is $99 up to the largest single unit is 1000 But every rig is a different scenario. This is why we're adamant about looking at them is because our folks that are trained and are RVists as well, no one in our environment is not an RV owner. Every single person that does this as part of their venue, owns an RV, and has been doing it for a while. I have individuals that are mobile RV technicians. We have folks that are experienced across the board, looking at the rig to be able to tell you, these are your hazard zones. You may or may not already know that, but from battery compartments to converters to inverters to water heaters to engine compartments to dashboards to refrigeration systems, I could keep going. All of these things are hazard points or hotspots. 
those hotspots have the propensity for fire. And those are the ones that we look at. Some of them, they can be combined with others because they are open area type of configuration and we can run the tube from one point to the next. Some of those are encapsulated or enclosed in a compartment and they have to have independent tubes sitting by themselves. Each one of is situation dependent. We want the manufacturers to buy our stuff, not necessarily the owners, because we want them to be able to purchase the products from the people who sell them the RVs and include it in their, in their package. Not all of them are getting on board with that yet. I remember the car companies until the late 70s, early 80s insisted safety doesn't sell. Right. And finally, Americans came around and now safety is a buying factor, but it hadn't been up until then. Well, Todd, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. It's just fantastic. Yeah. I'm glad I was able to, uh, you know, fill in a lot of gaps. There's so much information out there that, unfortunately, people sometimes don't have the opportunity to look or find. So it's opportunities like this that I take full advantage of to not only get the word of fire and life safety out and situational awareness and understanding, but it's also an opportunity to say, hey, look, there are things that are available to you. You may or may not have known about them, but the most important person in the room here is you, and you cannot be replaced. You need to take everything that you are presented and make a good conscious decision of what you want in the end. I want to talk to you. I don't want to talk about you because we all learn from the mistakes of others, unfortunately. That's just the yeah. way it goes. So I would rather much have talk to people in front of me than in the next seminar talk to other folks about something that happened to them. Yeah. That is a powerful statement. That is a fact. Well, Todd, thank you again, and, and we will hopefully go to another rally really soon, and we'll cross paths there and get fire protected. Yes. Tony Peggy, thank you very much. Look forward to talking to you again. Sounds okay, good. good. Take care. <laughs> Have a great weekend. You, you too, too. Doug. We love being part of the largest club of RVers with events, rallies, tours, resources, and more. And you can be too. That's the FMCA, and it's not just for motorhomes anymore. Now any RVer can join the FMCA and enjoy their fantastic benefits. Yeah, like chapters where people of common interest gather and go on outings and adventures together. It's a great way to meet other RVers who share your interest or location. But there are other great resources too, like a beautiful magazine, forums, videos, tutorials, and so much more. And don't forget the incredible programs like Medical Assist, where the FMCA is there for you in the event of a medical emergency on the road. Yes, and we signed up for the FMCA's Roadside Assistance, which specializes in RVs and offers towing to the nearest qualified repair facility, no matter how many miles away it is. It's a great optional program that's been part of the FMCA for years. Plus, of course, we've got a good deal for you. New members can save $10 on an FMCA membership. We've got the details and more information on this terrific organization on our discounts and deals page at StresslessCamping.com. Join us and other RV enthusiasts at an upcoming rally or gathering and save money in the process. Now, now that's Stressless, stressless camping. camping. So as we said, we are absolutely planning to have the Protang fire suppression system put in our trailer, especially in the refrigeration. Right. We should have already had that done, except we didn't get to go to the FMCA right. rally. It would have been done in Tucson had we been able to go yes. to Tucson. Anyway, something that we will do the next time we see Protang. Yep. Absolutely. And we'll take pictures and share it with you. But for now, one of the things that we have been doing is playing games. 
games. Right. And not like head games. <laughs> oh boy. And you see now why I'm not a singer. <laughs> so a while back, I wrote a blog post about games that you can play when you're camping and they are just as suitable to staying home for the most part. And so we thought we'd just give you a list of ideas of games you can play now or while you're going camping. So here we go with the list. <laughs> Games that you can play while you're sheltered in place or out on the road. Yeah. And the first one is horseshoes. Horseshoes. Now, you can play horseshoes at home if you have at least 50 feet of yard, which my grandparents did, and they always had horseshoes set up in their backyard, which was really fun. We did a lot of parties at grandparents' house and played a lot of horseshoes when I was a kid. Yeah, except the horses walked around barefooted. Well, you know, there was nice grass. <laughs> <laughs> We were all barefoot. Why shouldn't the yeah, horses right? be? Yeah, right. Exactly. In Peggy's article, you can buy your own horseshoes, obviously. Right. Or if you're faster than the horse, you could steal theirs. <laughs> no, but seriously, there's also a rubber set that might be better for taking with you, you know, when you're on the road. And plus, it's not quite as noisy. Right. It's not as heavy. It's not as noisy. And it doesn't tend to tear up the campground's lawn, which they probably would frown upon. Yeah. They probably are much happier. It's always good to be a good neighbor. Yeah. Leaving a place as nice or nicer than when you got there is a plus. Yep. And then while you're outside throwing things, <laughs> you could maybe play ladder toss. Ladder toss is like there's a short ladder and it's... Do you remember the clackers? Oh, yeah. To me, it's like chucking clackers. Yeah. And clackers <laughs> yeah. were those, they're like two balls on a string, and you'd swing them together, and they'd be clack, 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 clack. They were so cool. And apparently, you can get them again. Yeah, you can even get them in acrylic, not just plastic, yeah. on a hard plastic stick. Anyway, ladder toss plays with something called a bola, which is two balls on a string. Yeah, like clackers. Yeah. You basically chuck it at the ladder, and there's a scoring system. Peggy found a really cool game package that's got two four-foot lifetime tables, and it's got ladder toss, and it's got cornhole as well, which is our next game. Right. Cornhole, if you haven't played, is a beanbag game, and it's just basically throwing beanbags across a distance, and sometimes there are different holes with different scores, or sometimes it's just a point to get into the hole. Just depends on what game you have. When I worked at the RV dealership, and they still have it, they used to have this corn hole game and it had discounts they had three holes on the table and so if you made one hole you got a thousand dollars off your rv if nice. you made another was 500 and another was 250 that was perry's idea it was a great idea and it was yeah. really fun that's great speaking of fun the cornhole and ladder toss game that peggy found uses two lifetime plastic tables that are set up as cornhole so you get two four foot tables you get a ladder toss and you get cornhole so you really can't go wrong yeah it's really well <laughs> suited for RVing. Yeah, for sure. And right now, I mean, go out there and do cornhole toss yeah. or ladder toss. Right. And then when you're tired of being up and throwing stuff and you want to <laughs> sit down and play something, how about dominoes? And I know that there's traditional dominoes, which I don't have a lot of experience in, but my whole family likes to play Mexican train dominoes. Yes, even I'm not as much of a game player as Peggy's family. Peggy's family, when they get together, it's done. They're sitting down playing games. <laughs> 
Right. <laughs> but I've gotten into the Mexican train dominoes. That's fun. That's a lot of fun. And it's a version of dominoes. There's also one called chicken foot that's very similar. I think chicken foot does something a little different with the doubles. But Mexican train dominoes, a great way to get sidetracked. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> I was railroaded into that. Oh, no. <laughs> and another game that I almost could get Tony to play <laughs> before he continues the puns is cribbage. Cribbage is a scorekeeping card game. Most people keep score on a board of some sort, but you can do it on paper. My favorite board that I have is actually carved from a California redwood tree, and it's in the shape of the state of California. Yeah, it's slick. This is one that I really like. Uno. There you go, because it doesn't Uno. take a whole lot of thought at all to play Uno, which no. is fun, because if you're just wanting to sit around and have a few drinks and goof around, Uno's like perfect. There's hardly any rules to remember. They're all written right there on the cards. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's a great game. And yeah, if you are, you know, if it's that one time in a 10 year and you're camping and have had a few shots of fireball or whatever the heck it, you know, (laughs) not to be specific, Uno's a great game for that. But if you do... Speaking of feeling a little rummy... If you do want to spend a little bit more brain power, you can play Rummy. The game that we play the most is called 5,000, and that just refers to the number of points that the winner gets. There's so many forms of Rummy. Hmm. 5,000 just happens to be the one that my family plays the most. Nar, you Rummy swap. So all you really need for that... (laughs) I'm just going to keep going. She just went... Here comes the boss. Don't let her run you down. <laughs> All you really need is a deck of cards or a few deck of cards. This one might need more than one. I think it depends on how many people you have playing. Anyway, grab a couple decks of cards, go online and look for a game and play some rummy. And now my favorite game of all time, Cards Against Humanity. For those of you with families, just substitute apples to apples. Yeah, Cards Against Humanity is a party game for horrible people. And it is just, I love that game. You you never have to ask me twice to play Cards Against Humanity. That's right. If you're not familiar with it, someone reads a question card and then everyone pitches in their favorite answer to that card and then the reader gets to pick the best or worst. No, it's the worst. The it's the most be. offensive <laughs> the possible most, answer. The most appropriate and offensive answer and the person who played that answer card wins the point. Apples to Apples is similar and it's a lot of fun. We don't usually keep score. We just play until somebody passes out and then whoever... (laughs) (laughs) It's easy to keep score because you just grab the question card and that's your point. So, But if you're playing a little bit more family friendly... Yeah, or your friends are actually, you know, tasteful or or polite, then... You might actually consider Yahtzee. Yeah. I I don't know. Everybody probably played Yahtzee when they were kids and everybody... Not everybody. A lot of people are going to say, I haven't played Yahtzee since I was a kid. And that's kind of true for me. I think I've played once or twice in my adult years, but it's a lot of fun and uses dice instead of cards. You all probably know. I don't need to tell you how to play Yahtzee. Well, and you can get like giant Yahtzee dice too. Oh yeah. And then if you have your dice out and you're not ready to stop throwing dice, then you can play Zilch. I know Zilch about this game. (laughs) This game is something I haven't learned to really keep score. I always have to play with someone who understands and I just roll six dice and they say, roll these again, roll these again, roll. Oh, no, you're done. Pass. (laughs) You can keep adding on to your score as you keep 
keep rolling, but then if you roll the wrong thing, then it just throws your whole hand away and you have to pass it and you get zero. You get zilch. Oh, there you go. Okay. I think it's probably very similar to Farkle, but I've never seen Farkle, so. All right. Well, there you go. So we have some games for you to play. One of the things I found in rereading Peggy's article about this was there is a Cards Against Humanity game you can play by yourself online. Good. Oh, the time I've wasted. (laughs) Now I know why he spends so much time in the office. I thought he was working. Yeah. Work. (laughs) (laughs) Playing Cards Against Humanity. So those games ought to keep you out of trouble for a little while. Yeah, and have some fun. And what's your favorite game? We always want to entertain what you have to share on our Facebook page. And I'm always trying to get Tony to play some new games. So tell me about them so I can try. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And then I'll just go play with my other friends anyway. Like I say, I'm not a huge game playing person, but who needs anything other than Cards Against Humanity? The card game for truly horrible people. (laughs) It's funny, we went camping with some people and there was a lady truly offended in our group by that game. I think every time I've played it, there's been one person that's really (laughs) been offended. But not my grandmother. No, your grandmother was totally, (laughs) she's what, 97 now, right? 98 in September. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay, so there you go. And she was playing Cards Against Humanity and she and thought winning. it was fun. Yeah. That- <laughs> yeah. And pretending like she didn't know what was going on, but we know. No, Ed, no, she is a wise lady. She is quite wise. Well, we mentioned our Facebook group, and so that means we've kind of come to the end of this. That's right. And hopefully you are enjoying sheltering in place and trying out recipes, not goofing off too much, but how much can you really goof off? And we hope that you're enjoying our podcast and we hope that you're telling your friends about our podcast so that they have a new way to waste time too. Absolutely. And reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts will tell the world a little bit more about us. And that means we get great guests like Todd and makes it better for everybody. So thank you for the reviews. We really appreciate it. We sincerely appreciate your being here and hope in these wacky times you're doing well. So the best to you. Thank you for being in our audience and here with us. Happy Happy camping. camping. Time to get out on your own journey. Don't forget to leave the review on your favorite podcast app and visit stresslesscamping.com for photos, stories, an RV calendar, and more. I'm stressless camper Larry Richardson wishing you happy camping.